Hi, I'm Robin Hills, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Hi, it's Mike Vardy once again, getting ready to have another productive conversation, this time with Robin Hills. He's the author of The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business, Strategies to Manage Stress and Weather Storms in the Workplace. Uh, Robin and I had a fantastic conversation, which centered largely around, well, you guessed it, resilience, but we get into much more than that. I mean, sure, we talk about what resilience is, what it isn't, where the confusion may lie, and how confusion can rear its ugly head when leaders try to tap into emotional resilience in their organizations. There's so much we get into, and, and Robin knows his stuff. He's the director of EI for Change, Emotional Intelligence for Change, a company specializing in training, coaching, and personal development focused around around emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience. He has over 35 years of business and commercial experience, spoken keynotes. He knows his stuff. And you can, of course, the show notes will share a lot more, but we're going to share a lot more right now in this conversation. Here's my productive conversation, a productive conversation with Robin Hills. Enjoy. Robin Hills, I'm glad to be having this productive conversation with you today. Thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me on your show, Mike. So the book that I have in my hands right now is The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business. And I'm going to jump, whenever I have these conversations, I, I always kind of look at the first thing that that catches my eye about it in the book itself. And I want to know where you get this from. So this 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 is at the very end of the book. The paradox of resilience at your worst times, you can become your best. Resilience is forged through adversity, not despite it. Is that a you? Is that from you? Is that your quote? No, I I wish it was. I've got to, um, I've really got to credit the lady that I pinched it from many years ago. She's a coach in the Liverpool area around where I live called Michelle Longney and uh she put it up on a slide. Now, whether she made the quote up or not, I don't know. But uh, that's where I got it from. And quite honestly, it actually captures everything there is about resilience. That's, and that's the, that's the thing that I really want to get into. When, I, when, when the book came my way, and you, know, you, you sent a nice little note with it, which I really also appreciate, is the idea of the paradox of resilience. But resilience is, is often misunderstood. You know, I mean... I when I when I think about the term resilience, other words come to mind like perseverance, grit, things things that maybe are related, but they there it there's some conflation. It's like the difference between say preparation and planning, right? Like I'm going to prepare this, I'm going to plan this. Like they they are cousins, but they're not. They don't mean the same thing. So can you kind of dive into, the, you know, when people are thinking about resiliency or this idea of resilience? Um, what they might be getting either confused or just dead wrong about what it is and maybe what it isn't. Sure. Well, first of all, I'd just like to knock one of the great myths on, on its head with regards to resilience. Often when people talk about resilience, they talk about bouncing back. Well, you don't bounce when you are being resilient. Uh, you don't go back to how things were prior to an adverse event. You actually grow and develop and learn through resilience. I think uh, we've got to look at where the word resilience came from. And uh, about 40 or 50 years ago, 
the main use of the word resilience came from material science. It's stress over strain. And it's now become a metaphor for human behavior. And it's become so embedded into our psyche that everybody kind of drops the word resilience into conversations right, left, and center. So if you've been through an adverse event, oh, suddenly you've got this magical component that is resilience. <laughs> so you're right, it's not grit. There is a degree of perseverance there, but if I can summarize it very quickly, Resilience is having a realistic optimism. It's having an understanding that you may be in a situation that you might not like, but it's around using your creativity and your innovation to try and work through the situation in an adaptable way to come out stronger at the other side. And the other thing is to, to focus in on your goals, to have some understanding that there is meaning to life. And if you focus on getting through, then that will help to develop your resilience. And you can't do it unless you've actually been through hard, trying times. So you don't know how resilient you're going to be until you get there. And, you know, as soon as you're, as you're talking about this, I think of Viktor Frankl, right? Like man's search for meaning. Like that, that's a name that immediately yeah. came to mind. But I also think that there's interesting thoughts around resilience that when the word really doesn't come up right out of the, uh, right out of the gate, like the obstacle is the way Ryan Holiday's book, right? You know, the idea of the obstacle, like there's a form of, quote, resiliency there that's happening. But do you think the term gets overused? Like, do you think that it's, no? Oh, all Yeah, the like, time. It's, it's one of those, yes. it, it just gets thrown around, like, you know, so many other terms and words that it, does it lose its power as a result? Like, does it lose, does it lose its meaning because it's so, I wouldn't say corrupted, but just uh, overused? I think because of its overuse, we've got to watch for the poison in resilience because people will actually use the word resilience when um, it's inappropriate. You need to be more resilient is what some leaders will say to people when they complain about situations that they disagree with. Well, you know, that is not being resilient. That is actually bringing to, to somebody's attention a situation that they don't like that could be managed more appropriately. And I think that uh, we can look throughout modern history to see times when people have been called resilient or been labeled resilient, which is a nice way of saying, oh, I'm glad I wasn't in your situation. Put up, shut up and get on with life. Oh, aren't you lucky? You're resilient. So we've just got to watch around the use of the word resilient. When I was going through the beginnings of the book, I couldn't help but think about the things that we don't learn in school things that maybe we should. We get taught things that maybe don't necessarily serve us as well as others down the road. You know, we don't necessarily learn money management, like practical money management. We learn math, right? We don't learn time management. We learn, we don't learn anything around that. Like some of those executive functioning skills. And I mean, again, I, I talked about this to you literally before we hop on the air as both my kids are going back to school for the first day. Uh, my daughter going into grade 12, getting ready to think about life after school. She'll be 18 later, uh, you know, just a few months from now. And my son going into grade seven. So he's almost like he's he's in the middle of middle school. 
And they never really learn that stuff. And then, you know, so as we're looking at what is resiliency, I get there and I'm like, why don't we learn? Like, is there a way to learn how to elevate it? Or is it just like you said, you have to go through something and it just, it, it emerges. Like, is there a way to, other than obviously reading your book and, 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 you know, kind of getting an understanding of tapping into some of the formulas and, and the frameworks. And there's a lot of them in here that you can use. Why isn't this something that we maybe either learn earlier on, or is it even something that we can learn and it just needs to be something that we kind of, it, 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 it happens to a degree over time. I think what we've got to do is to look at uh, education in general and say that they're very good at following a curriculum. They're very good at stuffing us with information so that we can regurgitate it in an examination and come out with a certificate with certain grades on it, which really is a ticket onto the next phase of our learning, our growth. Um, we are not taught this stuff at school because I think a lot of the people who are doing the teaching have just not got the capacity, the experience and the understanding of how the business world works. A lot of the teachers, very good teachers, learn their art by coming out of university, going on to teacher training college, and then they're thrown in front of a, a, a class of school kids. So... Where have they got any resilience from? They learn it on the job. They have no business acumen whatsoever. And quite a few of them are very savvy and they pick it up really well. Quite a few of them aren't and really struggle with it. And there are certain things that a lot of people are taught at school, which I think we've just got to be very mindful of and knock some of these myths on the head. And one of them is around profitability as being a negative word. And that was how I viewed business when I went through my education, came out with a very, very poor understanding of making a profit and it was as if it was being dirty uh, and another group of individuals which are very 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 good at passing exams and are then thrown into the lion's den are clinicians doctors uh, all they're good at doing is passing exams that's how they get to become clinicians what they do is they learn on the job and some of them do it incredibly well and some of them learn certain behavioral patterns that get them through so uh you know there is a place for all this stuff at school we're just not there you know, and that that ties in nicely to the idea of coping versus resilience because i think when you know i i think about teachers and especially, and I, I mean, in Canada, at least nurses and things like that, where there's just so much going on, especially over the last few years, you know, especially the, you know, the medical field. Um, and you, you address in the book, the idea of coping versus resiliency. And I'd like you to touch on that because one of the things that I've shared with people is, you know, time happens to us, right? Like we go through our days and um, you cope with what you can't control, command what you can, right? Like, you know, figure, like, look at it that way as opposed to just going through the entire day, just coping or 
trying to force something that can't be forced, right? So I, I'd like to hear about the relationship between coping and resiliency and where either where the crossover happens or where you've got to be careful that resiliency, like coping just doesn't become a mechanism that you fall back on when, you know, you, you need to push a bit more to get to those places where, hey, you know, I'm a teacher and I'm going to teach about fixed mindset and growth mindset to my grade four kids, which a teacher did to my son. They talked about bubble brain and brick brain. I'm like, wow, like that's not in the curriculum, right? Like that's not there. And that's a, that's a push through or even a push back against what's there. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, that relationship and the dynamic between coping and resiliency. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier. Thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Yes, I think coping very simply is putting up with stuff. So if you're able to put up with stuff, you're coping. Uh, Resilience is more than that, as I've already defined. It's actually working through creatively an adverse situation putting yourself in control and saying right what is it that i can do to manage this more appropriately um you come out of the other end uh, exhausted worn and stressed whether you're coping or whether you're being resilient and developing your resilience but with coping it's more of the same Whereas with resilience, you're actually kind of chunking yourself up to the next level and you're almost saying to yourself, well, you don't, but you're almost saying, bring it on and you bring on the next phase to actually challenge yourself and uh, and grow through it. And just to jump back to your previous question, Mike, can resilience be developed? Yes, I, I think it, it certainly can be developed. We can learn what it is that we need to do in order to grow our resilience. The only thing we can control and the only thing that we can change in any kind of adverse situation is ourselves our thoughts, 
our feelings, our behaviours, our actions. These are the things under our control. So what is it that we need to do in order to make the best of the situation? We need to control our emotions. We need to control our impulses. We need to have that realistic optimism that I've talked about. We need to learn how to empathize with people, to build up our social networks. These are all things that are our internal protective factors that will help us as we learn to engage with the world in a better way. I've not used the word resilience. No, I know, there, I know, but, but I, I, that, that's really no, what it but is. I'm going to because we go back to the title of the book: emotional resilience in business. When I looked at that, I mean, yes, we talked largely about resilience. You brought up the emotional component, and I think this comes up a lot: is emotions are so powerful, right, that they drive behavior in some, and you have to. It, it's not, and and this is the thing. I think people, and I'm going to generalize here. Um, we've thrown some generalizations out anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go down that path a little bit. Is this idea that that um, people it, it, they they go either one way or the other? Like, so for example, we could talk about like you've got to keep your emotions in check, and it's a lot easier to just go completely swing in the opposite direction than to find a nuance. So they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna try to shut when it when it comes to controlling or commanding my emotions, I'm gonna go so far in the other direction that there's a lack of humanity, <laughs> like there's a humanless. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. I think that's the tricky part is the nuance. And you bring up in the book, we get into the idea of the behaviors of resilience. Um, and this is why the emotional part is so key to me is the idea of the emotions that drain or impair resilience. And then the emotions that enhance or facilitate it. And when I saw that, I'm like this, if so, someone needs to pay attention to that part, because it's going to, it, it, it kind of, and again, it takes thoughtfulness and contemplation and a bit of a pause, which the world does not like us to do uh, before, especially, and now it's trying to ramp back up and man, I'm really trying to help people like, no, no, it's okay. You don't have to get back up to the speed of light right now. That's, that's where you'll miss stuff. So why, why was it important for you to address these? And I don't want to go into all the emotions. I want people to pick up the book. But why was it important for you to not only address the fact that these emotions play a role in how your resilience is developed and constructed, but also you you drill down to go, I need to create these distinctions so that someone reading this or exploring this can go, whoa, 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 hold on, this is fear. I see that this is fear, or I see that this is, you know, um, ambition or curiosity. Like, I'd like you to go into that because I think, I, I'm not sure that this may not have been the most, um, uh, not not tedious. Tedious is not the right word, but the most the most involved part of writing the book is to look at that part and go, okay, let me help with this nuance that will help people not go, okay, well that's it. I'm going to shut down my emotions and go completely to logic. What you're trying to do here, from what I could gather, is bring people to that path of reason. Like, here's a reasoned, here's here's a way for you to have a reasoned approach to, you know these situations so that your resilience has a, a, a chance resiliency rather has a chance to thrive as opposed to, uh, you know, die on the vine or not even make an appearance. Sure. And I think what I'd like to do, Mark, is to knock another myth on the head. And this is one that makes my skin creep whenever I hear it. When people talk about positive and negative emotions, 
emotions are emotions. We can't put a label on them as to whether they're good or bad, black or white, right or wrong, or anything like that. What we've got to do is to look at emotions and look at the information that the emotion is communicating to us and make a choice as to how we respond to it. So let's talk about an emotion that drains resilience. Let's talk about an emotion which is usually given the, um, the label negative. And that's fear that you've mentioned. If fear is such a negative emotion, why do we get such pleasure from horror movies and from, um, and from going on roller coaster rides and putting ourselves at certain levels of risk? Fear is, fear is there to help us to make the right decisions. It helps to ensure that we make the best decisions. So if we're fearful of something, it gives us that opportunity to stop, think, react. So uh, one of the, the positive emotions, if I can use that. Let's uh, just go, let's just go with emotions because you're right. It's funny, uh, just real quick, is that you said stop, you know, uh, what was it? Stop, think, and react. We skip those two first steps on when it comes to these. Like, yeah. like, I'm afraid of fear. That's an oxymoron. That's a real pain. Like, I mean, you're right. It's a signal. So I think if we say like another, and I know you put it this way, like the drains. I think you know. So one that that one that drains. Let's say, or sorry, you want to go the other direction, which is one that enhances, right? A positive. Quote positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's go. Because I think we, we, we can do the, the we can dispel that myth. Let's do that in, in the context of this conversation, because I I don't want people like, oh, well, this is a positive negative. No, no. Emotions are emotions are emotions, like you said. Right. It's the behavior that is either positive or negative or the action that is positive or negative, right. not the emotion itself. So if we look at one of those emotions that enhances resilience, the emotion of happiness, it's a very basic emotion that we all aspire towards. But it's a very short lived emotion and people forget that you get little bursts of happiness every so often. And if happiness is such a positive emotion, um, we have this level of delirious bliss that somebody is under and you just can't communicate with them. Hello, trees. Hello, grass. <laughs> hello, flowers. Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. Just be happy. Yeah, great. But uh, look, we're in a, a world of realism here. It's great to feel happy. And I enjoy those little bursts of happiness when they come my way. But what I'm striving for is not happiness. It's another enhancing emotion. And that's one of contentment. Are you content in your world currently? Because if you can strive towards that, You've got more resilience. Middle isn't sexy though. Content sounds like a middle. <laughs> like it's it, but you're it's sustainable though. To be content is oh, it it's is. sustainable. It and, is. and this goes back to the idea that I was saying, where people want either, it, you said good or bad, which is great. I, I'm a pro wrestling fan, so when I watch pro wrestling, there's a good guy and a bad guy. There's absolutely like, but you know yeah. who the most? Yeah, yeah. But in back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, the most popular pro wrestler on the planet was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Why? Because he wasn't good or bad. He was supposed to be a bad guy, but he was he was going after his boss and he was doing things that people, he was a what they call a tweener. So he wasn't good or bad. He was just he was just a, a wrestler. He was just doing and the, everyone loved him because they could relate to him because he was not pure good or pure evil. 
and I and and again, people love absolutes. They love to go, okay, well, this is. I mean, with to your point about happiness, if you were, if you were, if you don't experience sadness, you can't experience happiness, right? So, I think everybody after listening to this conversation, if you've not watched the movie Inside Out, the Pixar movie, go watch it because it, it Pixar movies are delightful in teaching lessons that to adults that we might have missed in other forms along the way. I'm kind of glad that like, you know, my daughter saw it just as she was getting, you know, into that age where emotions started to wreak havoc on you. Right. And that's the other thing too. Emotions can play a, 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 a grand role in how we, how we kind of move forward. But what's also interesting, and you bring this up in the book, this isn't just about an individual. This is about when you get into groups and organizations. So imagine if this is you just dealing with it on your own. Now you're getting a group of people together, all with different kind of approaches, upbringings, um, ideologies, things like that. How do you, as a leader, because we brought this up earlier, when when a lead, when when a you know someone who's in charge says you need to show more resiliency, and it and it kind of falls on deaf ears because it's you know it they're, they're it's kind of empty calories. What are some of the things if you're leading an organization or you're you know you're you're in a family maybe or whatever, like you start to get groups of people together where you can foster some of that emotional resilience um, and maybe either leverage it with those that are, that are in the group or just, does it just involve paying attention? Like, like where does this fall in? Because I think that's where it can get messy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Well, it, it can, and I think um, paying attention is absolutely right. It's learning how to listen to people, but it's also, as a leader, understanding that you are responsible for setting the emotional climate within your team, within your organization. And I often speak to many senior leaders who talk about, oh, we want our people to be happy. Now, I'm not going to go down the route around what we just talked about. But um, when I actually look into how they're working and reacting and behaving with their stuff, they're instilling fear in them. They're angry all the time because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not doing what the leader wants. Well, how can people be happy when the leader is angry all the time or is creating an environment of fear? So the first thing that a leader needs to do is to understand how much of the emotional climate that they're responsible for and to actually engage with people by listening to them and talking to them and finding out what motivates them. Now, I think the other important thing there is not to treat your team like a bunch of robots, but get to know them as people. 
because um, uh, they are people and you don't know anything about them at all, anything. You don't know anything about their internal or external protective factors of resilience purely and simply because you haven't asked. You don't know what's going on in their family. You don't know what's going on with their friends. You don't know whether they're living in a house which is highly mortgaged or whether they're renting, whether they're just about to be kicked out. You don't know what's in their bank account. You don't know the relationship they've got with their children. You don't know anything about their parents. You know nothing. So... All you're doing is working with a group of people that are being forced together as a team. And you're all working together as a team to come to a common goal or a common output. Now, in many cases, it works incredibly well. But how much better would it work if you actually recognize the human side of the people that you're working with? I was going to say, it, 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 it's, we hear a lot like keep, work at home, work at work and home at home. There's this Apple TV plus series called severance right now, which I'm getting into drives my wife nuts. Cause, <laughs> cause she's like, really, you have to watch the Like, Oh no, I'm going to unpack this. But the idea is, um, you know, uh, for those who haven't, if you're listening right now, it's like, you know, it, it, there's a severance, like a severed line between when you're at work and at home, you're two completely different lives. That's not the way the world works. And that's why I don't like the term work-life balance. Just drop the adjective, just call it balance. And and when you start to embrace that, then, then maybe that's where leaders can say, you know what, just finding out about the people that I work with and alongside will help me better understand how to, you know, navigate waters with them, you know, as we, you know, make our way through the work day, through the work week, through the, through the, the life of our time together. And uh, it just comes back to being human, right? It does. It does. And also there's another myth that you've kindly dispelled for me, which is this idea of work-life balance. Again, it's, it's another phrase that makes my skin creep every time I hear it. And the uh, Chartered Institute of Professional Development, CIPD, here in the United Kingdom, will often talk about uh, work-life balance. And you have keynote speeches at their annual conference where that's a title. So they're actually perpetuating this myth. Life is not on a fulcrum. Work is not on a fulcrum. Life at one end and work at the other. Uh, in our phases of our life, work takes up a major part of it. You can't split your life up into eight hours sleeping, eight hours at work, and eight hours for me. It just doesn't work that way. And there are times when you actually have to work weekends late into the evening because that's what the work demands. And you can't suddenly say, oh, no, it's six o'clock, I'll stop, if you've got an important meeting the next day that you haven't prepared for. So you've actually got to build that into other things that are going on in your life. And by the same token, it means that if you need to go to a hospital appointment or a dental appointment during, or, a, you know, any kind of health appointment during work time, you should be able mm -hmm. to do that. And if you need to go and sort your kids out because something's going on at school, you will take that time. So 
you know, there is where the balance lies. Yep. Ebb and flow. You yeah. have to make, yeah, you have to make the most appropriate decisions for yourself at that particular moment in time and live with the consequences of what you do and the consequences of what you don't do. Yeah, you'd think that, I mean, if we think back to, you know, <laughs> earlier times, no one was really thinking about, well, am I, am I, how's my work-life balance? You know, like the farmers aren't thinking that or the, the cavemen certainly are. <laughs> no one's really, but we, yet we, we put so much into that and you're right. There's some instances like, I, you know, and the, the way that that myth, I think gets perpetuated is either by changing it to like work-life integration or work-life harmony. I'm like, just drop the adjective makes it's like you said, it's not on a fulcrum, but also <clears throat> the idea of it's much easier to do that because it's very, like you it's very quantitative eight hours here, six hours. Like there's, there's an objective element to it, which requires less effort to consider. Uh, I'm done at five, right. You know, as opposed to, well, I'm done when I'm done. Um, that's why I think, I mean, I'm a night owl. I do a lot of my work later in the day after the kids are in bed. Um, that would not be allowed in most work environments. But when remote work started to take hold, it was. And now all of a sudden that remote work is, there's kind of a pushback to get people back in. There's those people that were better in the evenings. They're like, oh, I'd like to stay and keep doing this. They're like, no, 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 no. You need to be back here because this is the way we do things. Um, I think some of the things, like you said, that we, if we started to measure or um, yeah, I guess measure or, or, or at least manage the right things, not time, not, you know, like not this quantitative stuff, but maybe more things like expectations, attention, things, things that like, and we're seeing more of this as we record this right now, this idea of the quiet quitting movement, which people are saying, oh, it's such a new phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. People have been, it's, and in all honesty, it's, I've, I've written about it. You've probably read about it. Go look more. It's getting a lot more play probably than it needs to. But ultimately what it should be about is expectations. Hey, this is my expectation of you as an employee. This is my expectation of you. Like understanding communication, things that are nuanced and maybe more qualitative. If we started measuring those things more than say, Hey, I got my email inbox to zero today. It was a productive day. Would, would resilience have a greater chance to thrive or would we, or better still, would we even need to tap into it as much because the right things are being quote measured or at least being used as a measuring stick for how we're going through situations? I think you're, you're right. If a leader is to say to the members of the team, this is the expectation, this is the outputs that we can agree on. And... <laughs> these are the outputs that we can agree on and then allow the team to decide amongst themselves how they're going to deliver against that expectation, then you will get a much better outcome. Because if people want to do it at 10 o'clock at night, at 4 o'clock in the morning, that's their choice. So it's up to them to determine when they do it. It's up to them to agree with the leaders as to what it's going to look like when you get to that end point. But the leader then has to allow the team to do it in their own way. So if he sees the team talking by the coffee machine for three hours on an afternoon instead of getting on with their work 
let them do it. It's their responsibility to make sure that they deliver. Yeah, there's empower- if they don't deliver... Yeah, there's empowerment there. You, if you give the empowerment, you've yeah, got to give yeah. it. And, and, and to, to your yeah. point, and again, this ties into what I just asked, I think when people have more agency... They don't need to, I wouldn't say they don't need to quote, worry about resiliency, but maybe, and, and, and again, I'll ask you, cause you've studied this for a long time with more agency given, what does that mean for emotional resilience? What does that mean for adversity? I don't think it, I, I mean, in my, my thoughts are it's it, th- those moments are f- maybe fewer and further between, or maybe they, maybe the, <laughs> Maybe we misjudge levels. And so if adversity is, we make mountains out of molehills in other situations instead because we're human beings. Like, what does what do you think that looks like? Well, I think uh, we're under a lot of time pressure. I mean, even as I'm speaking to you, Mike, and thoroughly enjoying the conversation, to a certain extent, we're watching oh, the me clock, too. aren't we? Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're almost done. <laughs> keep, yeah, to keep within a defined period of time. Um, so I think time creates a great pressure for us all. We actually agree that we're going to do something within a defined period of time. And more often than not, we're a lot more um, generous with what we say we can do in that period of time than what we actually are. And so we try and stuff things into that and and the other thing that we do is we take on more and more because a lot of us find it very difficult to say no to people, which actually adds to our pressures. So a lot of it is actually learning levels of assertiveness to say, no, I can't do it. Or, no, I can't do it within that period of time. You ask for it within a week. Let me deliver it to you in two weeks because I know it's going to take me longer than a week to do it. I know you're under a lot of pressure. That's your issue. Don't put your pressure onto me. So I don't take other people's urgency. And I think that's an important point. If somebody comes to me with an urgent email, this needs to be done by Friday. Why? If it needs to be done by Friday, why didn't you speak to me earlier about it? It's now become your issue, and it's not my issue. And it can be very hard to say that to a manager, but you have to say it once or twice for the manager to actually understand that you're taking control of yourself, you're taking control of your work, you're actually looking at your own level of productivity, and you will be a better employee, a better follower, a better person who is being led because of it, not despite it. Back to the paradox, a different one. And we'll leave it at that. The book is called The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business. Robin, where can people pick up this book and, and keep up with what you're doing? Well, seeing as we're speaking to a global audience, Mike, um, I, I've got to be realistic. You're not going to find it in your local bookshop. Amazon have got a, a great stock of it, and there are some great reviews on Amazon, Amazon.com, where I am, Amazon.co.uk. Go and have a look for it on Amazon. My name's Robin Hills, and Mike's given you the name of the book many times, The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business. Search for it and you'll find it. Robin, thanks for having a productive conversation with me today. It's been a great experience. Thank you, Mike. Big thanks to Robin for joining me on the program today. You can learn all about what we talked about, relative links, 
anything that you want to dig into deeper at productivityist.com slash podcast 443. And I encourage you to do so. You know, I just got off the conversation with him and it was an absolute pleasure. I love it when conversations kind of take on a life of their own. And this is just another example of that. There are plenty of other examples. And if you subscribe to the podcast, you won't just hear the past 442 episodes a lot easier because you can just grab them from the podcast app of your choice. But also you'll get to hear plenty more coming down the pipeline, including episodes that we have scheduled all the way until February of 2023. I'm looking at the roster right now. We've got a lot of great guests coming your way. So subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app of choice today. I want to thank all of the sponsors that you heard during this episode, during our conversation. And if you want to learn more about these sponsors, go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. I'm looking forward to our next episode. You don't want to miss it. It is a conversation with the man behind the Building a Second Brain movement, Tiago Forte. This has been a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while, and I can't wait to bring it to you. Until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.